Hello and welcome to the GLT podcast series with the Greenshaw Learning Trust and Friends Book Club, where we talk all things teaching and learning with leading educationalists across the world. My name is Rhiannon Rainbow. And my name is Dave Tushingham. This is a place to enjoy listening to organic conversations between teachers and authors, a journey in bringing the latest evidence-based literature into the classroom. Good afternoon and welcome to the Greenshaw Learning Trust and Friends Book Club podcast. This is episode 27. I'm Rhiannon Rainbow. I'm Dave Tushingham. In this episode, we're going to be reading Leaders with Substance, an antidote to leadership genericism in schools with Matthew Evans. Let's get stuck in. Good afternoon and welcome to today's GLT Book Club session. It is our 27th session, which is absolutely fantastic. And I can't wait to get started. I've really enjoyed um, listening to um, Matthew talking about his book today uh, or previously in the build up today and, and reading his words as well uh, around leaders with substance. But I'll, I'll leave Dave to talk more about the why behind why we chose this book and the particular section for it. And then we'll hand over to Matthew to be able to talk a little bit about it as well. But uh, I've, I've really appreciated hearing what he has to say. So I suppose it's really helpful now with the where does this come from? Um, well, He's been in the leadership business for quite some time now. So he is a head teacher of Farmer's School, uh, Rural Secondary Comprehensive School in Gloucester. We've just been talking about that. He's actually not that too far away from Dave and myself. Um, so it's really exciting. It's an excuse to go and visit, I think, at some point. But it's from a position of a wealth of experience that he comes from as well, because he's had various senior leadership roles in secondary schools, including being a curriculum deputy head, specialist schools lead. Before this, he was a curriculum leader for business and economics, um, which is a subject you continue to enjoy, enjoy teaching today. And I think it's a really brilliant thing if head teachers can also uh, include a teaching timetable within what they do across the fortnight or uh, a week, depending on what your timetable looks like. Um, and in 2007, you were awarded the prestigious National Teaching Award for your work in the field of enterprise education. Ah, oh, that's amazing. I'd love to hear more about that one too. You blog at educontrarianblog.com and you try and avoid arguments as at head underscore teach on Twitter, which is quite difficult to do at the moment, isn't it? With what people are bringing to, up to discuss um, about education, but you also like spending your time up a mountain or with your family. There's something really nice, isn't there? The quiet and the peace for being up on a mountainside. Um, so yeah, I can appreciate where you're coming from with that. So that is my effort to, to um, introduce a little bit about yourself to the session, Matthew. Please feel free to, to add to that and, and bring anything in there that I might have forgotten um, when, when you come this in. This makes short. me sound really old, doesn't it? No, oh, I'm really <laughs> sorry. I didn't mean to do it that way. No, it's um, all right. no, it's, uh, I am really old. Well, I've been in education now, I, I call it nearly 20 years. So that's it for me. <laughs> when you can start counting in decades, I think it's quite a scary point of view to come from, isn't it? But... Yeah, I'm stopping at saying over 25. That's it. Oh. I don't that that's I, I think we could you know being mathematicians we could uh, we could say that that's more around 20 if you prefer than the 25 but as as it says in your book there are absolute benefits to that experience as well isn't there and having that opportunity to do that so before I dig a little bit more into the book I must remember to hand over to you Dave so Dave would you like to talk a little bit about why we selected this book and in particular that section that um, we sort of focused on for our members Oh, thank you. Yeah, um, I just thank you so much again, as I said before, for just joining us, because we are absolutely delighted to be able to, to start looking at leadership and start to um, interconnect some of the things we've learned in um, previous sessions with some of the, the literature that we've read um, in, in your book as well. And, and the reason why um, this book I felt was particularly powerful was um, it was around the, the sort of the structure of the book, but how it just really looked at why we're doing it. So I'm just going back to the end of um, the chapters here and seeing the little summaries that we'd have of each chapter 
about substance and, and it just really breaks it down quite simply to what we need to know, why this is important and how uh, do we know this is true. And, and I just thought that um, that sort of simplification of something very complex, the way that um, it's almost like isolating the skill as you might do in a classroom when you see something that just cognitively um, is, is challenging to keep up with, to understand how am I going to do all of these things at the same time. Um, so to have a book where you can sort of look and just think, actually, I, I really um, sort of understand a little bit more now about, about what substance is and what it means to, um, to, to be a leader. I, I just found it um, really easy to follow in that respect. Um, I really liked how it sort of makes the case for um, sort of building bodies of knowledge as well um, in terms of being able to develop uh, leadership expertise. Um, and, and that's something we've been looking at as well in other sessions with our teaching and learning and, and pedagogy. And, and I just thought that those links were really powerful as well. Um, I must say at this point that we had the book recommended to us as well. So it was uh, somebody had come to us to say that this is a session we really think that you should have. Um, and reading the book, it was, it was sort of clear to, to understand why. And, and something that I've sort of been particularly interested in is, is the scripts and, and how you might use scripts in order to um, gain that consistency, to support others to become good leaders, why those scripts are important, how we use them, um, and what the evidence base is for them um, having that impact and how we measure that impact also. So I guess at the end of the book, I had just a lot of questions around that and wanted to, to know more and understand more about what it might look like for me. And um, as somebody who's aspiring to be at that level one day, I'd, I'd really sort of like to dig a little bit deeper as to, to how how that sort of works and, and is implemented successfully and, and yeah the theories and the reasons why and and um and yeah so so the choice of the book um at that point was yeah i think this is a, an absolute must read and other people are really going to benefit from this too and um so, so yeah it was an absolute no-brainer then to, to sort of ask you and, and invite you along so just thank you so much for taking that time matthew with us um today and uh, and yeah just if i can hand over to you to talk a little bit about about the book and sort of why you wrote it and, and what your thoughts were yeah, thanks, Dave. Well, that's really good to know it's recommended. Um, I've got, I must admit, I, I, it was three years ago that I wrote it and um, I had to, I actually spent about half an hour today just flicking back through it and thinking, let me just check. <laughs> I, I'm really glad you're focusing on one chapter because it meant I didn't have to read the whole thing again. But um, yeah, I mean, I, it, was, it was the first book I wrote. And um, I suppose at the time I was not not in a great place really I mean professionally not in a great place we'd had a, a really difficult Austin inspection um, maybe 18 months before um, I was sort of questioning you know what's it all about what are we trying to do in improving the school what have I learned as a leader in the time I've been in education and I remember thinking well one way of, of dealing with that one way of processing that would be to write it down so I really took about three months and it I wrote the whole book in three months uh, as a, a sort of almost like a therapeutic activity. I just thought I'm going to write all of this stuff down. And being a business and economics teacher, I've been thinking about it for, as I think I say in the introduction, maybe 30 years. So when I did my degree, I was really interested in organizational theory, really interested in leadership and teamworking theory. And, you know, this was back in the early 90s. So it was quite, I suppose you'd say quite, um, quite the thing back then, particularly leadership as an emerging field so I started taking an interest in those areas at that point and then I guess I eventually got a job in leadership in a school and was really busy doing it so when I came to this about three years ago I thought well let's try to digest all of that knowledge and experience and also question some of the orthodoxies around the field as well because having looked at management and leadership for 30 years I I'd sort of reached the conclusion that I didn't think a lot of it was very useful. And particularly running a school, a lot of it was written to business. And I questioned whether or not that was any use to us at all. Some of it is, some of it isn't. So that, that was really, I guess, where I came from in writing the book. And I put it all down and I published it. And I've, I've come back to it a few times since. But it was really good opening it up again today and just reminding myself what that looked like and where my thinking perhaps is still in the same place and in other ways maybe has moved on. Well, you, you've almost there um, given me an absolutely perfect question to be able to ask you as well. So um, with, your, with your final statement, you said to see if your 
thinking was around the same lines or, or, or if you've moved on. And it just feels um, neglectful if I wasn't going to ask you to, if you could maybe elaborate a little bit more on that. Yeah, so I think I think I still agree with what I wrote three years ago for the most part. Uh, at, at that particular point, I was exploring, for anyone who's read the book, you'll know, I was exploring this idea of domain-specific leadership, which at the time felt like quite a new way of looking at things to me, and I know other people were, were exploring that as well. And, you know, three years later, we've got uh, some great people doing some great work in that field, like um, Tom Reese and Jen Barker at Ambition, for example, who, who blog and write on this topic quite a lot. So it feels like the whole field has moved on. At the time, that felt um, almost uh, a little bit, uh, I don't know, maybe a little bit edgy, probably overselling it, but it felt a bit different to what was already out there. So I think mostly I kind of agree with what I said. I think maybe where my thinking has moved on is uh, on how useful domain-specific leadership ideas will prove to be. Um, I think that's yet to be seen. Um, I think if we look particularly at the chapter that we're interested in here about culture, uh, I think it presents a particular view of school culture. My reading and discussion since then probably give me a more nuanced view of, of how you change school culture than perhaps I had at the time I wrote this. So inevitably, you put your marker down in the sand, you write a few things, and then, and, and also I've been engaged, it's really been great actually, since I published the book, I've been much more engaged in lots of professional networks with people talking about leadership, had the privilege to work with some fantastic people in this field as well. And inevitably that sharpens your thinking, gets you to question some of the things that perhaps you originally thought were true, and then, and then you come to question later. That's brilliant, thank you. I just, oh, I couldn't avoid that one once you opened the door for the, for the, for the possibility of it. Um, before I monopolize any further, Dave, did you want to um, ask a question? Because I've got quite a list for today. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, I, I'm just listening to that and it's really sort of made me think a little bit more about myself in that position and, and sort of acquiring some of that knowledge. And, um, and I, I really like the idea in the chapter about scripts. I really like the idea of um, being able to, to support um, other leaders to be able to, to have a real consistency, but then to build that culture. So it's not just, as you say, the book, that mental script, but it starts to, to be, be that cultural script where most people are, are using the same dialogue um, all of the time. And, and I guess um, so my next um, question or where I'd like to explore a bit is where, where that's really um, supportive, but then also the limitations of it and, and how we use that so that we, we get that, um, that sort of sense of uh, being able to deal with the individual problems you might have on a day-to-day -day whilst keeping that absolute consistency and any advice or thoughts around um, finding that balance and, and using those scripts in, in that way that you describe in the book. Because I think the idea is wonderful and I'm, I'm now wanting to try and imagine myself how am I going to use those and really make the most out of them yeah great question so just to tackle the one first on on why I think it's useful so I, I I wanted to write something that was quite practical about school culture because school culture can be looked at as as being about behaviors but it can also be looked at as being about people's beliefs and I think the scripting idea is more probably about behaviors than it is about beliefs uh, and what I wanted to do was to um, reflect really what I think goes on in a lot of schools that have made some significant improvements. And I know I, I, my understanding of Greenshaw Trust, for example, is, is that the sort of explicit talking about behaviours, talking about the way we do things is, is a significant part of the school improvement model, as I understand it. And I think this is really powerful because if we if we want a positive school culture, you have to do something deliberate to create it. And the scripting idea enables you to talk in quite tangible terms about how you create that culture. And I think the idea came from me. I, I can't remember who wrote the blog now, but um, it was a really influential blog talking about the specific things that leaders do. And in, in fact, that was one of the blogs that inspired me to write the book in a way. And when we looked at this and talked about this at my school, we were talking about things, particularly around student behavior. How do you get students to consistently behave in certain ways? And I remember at the time writing a bit in a blog about how we were tackling uniform issues within the school that I work in. And we had adopted this, this kind of approach, a scripted approach in a way, whereby if a, if a 
let's say a lad walks along with his shirt hanging out what do you do how do you deal with it and we we adopted a, an approach as a leadership team whereby we would call that student to one side we would greet them we would ask them maybe how they were how their day was going so it would start in a really positive way and then we would address the behavior that we wanted them to change and and it almost became a scripted um, routine that certainly I adopted for a, a period of time and other members of the leadership team who I worked with adopted as well and we modeled that to other people too so that was the origin I guess of the idea of scripting things that you can explicitly talk about and work on an approach to doing quite a discreet thing within the school and that in doing so you model that practice and you try to replicate that practice across the school and to me that that's quite a practical and powerful way of building school culture um, the limitation of that model is it doesn't really get at the underlying beliefs and when when you dig into ideas around school culture it's one thing to get people to change their behavior but if you only change their behavior and not their underlying assumptions and beliefs then that change may not be sustainable so the thing the chapter doesn't talk about and, and the book doesn't really address is how you move those underlying assumptions and behaviors forward which i think is probably a more difficult thing to do than scripting uh, routines and behaviors I mean, what, what I'm getting from that is, um, is the, the, the book um, and what I really like about the book is it gives you that starting point where you can um, transform um, your culture to, to look um, as you would want it to be. And then once you are at that point and you've got um, that sort of that image almost of that culture as, as you would um, think it, that you think it should be as, your, as, a, as a leader, um, you can then start working on um, some of those beliefs and you can start bringing in other strategies um, and other tactics that could uh, really support um, others to, to understand why um, some of the things that are being done um, are, are of benefit. And, and that's something I really like. It's um, the, the model um, that we use um, in lessons of um, quite recently, I've been using um, a lot of this idea of um, I do a work example and then students will or copy and I think Mark Enzo talks about um, really strengthening the schema and Mark McCaw and David Dyer also about uh, really strengthening your schema the best way is to, is to model what that should look like and then the students might have one small change to that problem and then they would do something very very similar and and, and it's the same I think in my subjects or, or in the, the, the teaching and learning that, that students might not at first really understand exactly why they're doing what they're doing but the more that that schema is built the more that that structure is there and it's habitual the more chance then we've got of then saying, well, well, this is what we're doing. And now this is why. And it starts to become something which is um, understood as well as practiced. That's a really good point, actually, Dave. And people often assume that you've got to change people's minds before you change their behavior. Uh, and that can be a good way of doing things. But if you change people's behavior, it can also change their minds. And it reminds me of... Um, some routines we adopted a few years ago kind of pre-pandemic times before everything fell apart uh, and we were moving into getting our year sevens to stand behind their chairs at the beginning of a lesson so a very simple thing and I, I got the sense of not many teaching staff thought it was a good idea and it was one of those times where we did it anyway which not usually my kind of approach to things but we said we're going to do it give it a try and within about a week the, the dialogue about it amongst teachers was, was changing. And they were starting to say, do you know what? My lesson started much better. And I, I thought it was a bit stuffy. I thought it was a bit old fashioned, but what I'm starting to realize that is a really strong start to the lesson is gonna make my lesson go better. And so we changed the behavior before we changed people's minds. That's quite unfashionable, isn't it? Because it kind of stinks of dictatorial leadership in a way. Um, which we kind of maybe pull back from. But I would look at it as just a different way of changing culture. And, and if that didn't work and if people's minds didn't change, then you've got to say, well, okay, we've tried that. Let's try something different. But equally, sometimes until you try it, you don't know what the impact of that's going to be. So to change people's minds, maybe sometimes change their behavior. I also think um, in, in, in changing their behaviors, they can see that it can be done in a different way as well. And it's not until you see it, can you 
appreciate that there are other ways that things can be done. So let me try and um, explain where I'm coming from with that viewpoint. Um, it was it was really so uh, it, I've experienced uh, shouting schools. So a school where the head teacher is very shouty and the impact that that can have um, further down. So where behavior management could also be quite shouty when dealing with and uh, challenging behavior in lessons or, um, you know, the corridors aren't quite the same experience for staff to walk around as well, because there might be a grumpy member of SLT walking along it. You know, you can, you can have that culture and you don't always realize that it's there until you see how that can be different elsewhere. And this script, or for me, I've, I've previously considered it like my flowchart. What do I do at this stage or at this stage? And I'm compiling that in my experiences from what I see from other people um, and the bits that I the bits that I like and the bit that I see that works. Um, and I, I think for me, a, a huge eye opener was just the first day that uh, you might think that I'm, I'm hugely biased. I'm going to be. I work for the Greenshaw Learning Trust. But the first day I went into Five Acres when there were staff and students there and I was with Izzy Ambrose and I could see all the other senior leaders and teachers greeting their standing at specific points in the corridor or at a doorway holding it open greeting students by saying hi and staff having that eye contact and I know it's more difficult now but a huge um, approach to just shaking students' hands as well, that, that idea of respect and calmness and, and that we're doing it together and we're helping people. And I think sometimes you don't always realize that it's possible or the mm. impact that can have until you try it yourself, but also then see it in action. And it's just, it's incredible the difference it can make with, with lots of other aspects as well. Um, so yeah, I've experienced that firsthand, you know, at the charity culture and then actually a very different kind of script. So it all helps to add to what I previously termed as my flowcharts. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's amazing when you see schools and, uh, you know, I work in a school which hasn't had a school turnaround and, and, you know, hasn't had those kind of behavioral issues maybe or the cultural issues. But it's amazing when you go into a school which in which that rapid improvement is taking place and you see the deliberate modeling of certain behaviors around kindness around respect and i think some people get the impression that that it that it's something it isn't um I, it is those things in schools that are really successful at turning around they do model really good qualities in terms of how people relate to each other um, and i think i talk in the book about in that particular chapter about cultural memes because i think in some schools you get this loose culture whereby those behaviors aren't consistent and then in other schools you have a very tight culture whereby you observe the same thing happen in lots of different places and and if you are aware of that idea you can go into a school and you can quite quickly determine whether it's a tight culture or a loose culture and also what those cultural memes are so what, what typically happens when, let's say, a teacher and a student come across each other in a potentially conflict situation, what happens? And in some cultures, lots of different things could happen. And in some cultures, you get quite a great deal of consistency, mostly because the adult is modeling a, an agreed and a consistent set of behaviors. Yeah, and I'm very fortunate. Sorry, Dave, I'm, I'm going to be a bit, bit greedy at this point. Um, I'm very fortunate that I have the opportunity to visit a large number of schools, or a, a wide variety of schools as part of my job. And I can, from that point, I can see the, the similarities and differences in those cultures across our schools as well. But I also will look for a lead from the, the other staff that are there. So I can fit into that mold and so I can follow it as closely as I can. But I really appreciated um, a, a, a visit I made to Yate Academy um, earlier on in the year. And the reason it stood out to me um, on that particular occasion was they'd had a look at how they do that challenging a student in the corridor. 
and they let me know at the SLT meeting that morning what their script was for that. So I could help to support it and be more quickly a part of that school community and culture. And it, I, I noted it down and I still remember it now to this day because those things are very, very helpful when you're just trying to support things as much as you can and, and be a part of that school culture. And if the school are letting me know that, I think that's a, that was a really positive message to be able to take away from it as well. It, even the stem sentence of pulling the student to one side and saying, I've noticed that. And that everybody started it off with the same thing, that the, the same wording, and it immediately removed any sort of um, potential to be combative or confrontational. And I just thought simple things like that can have a big effect. Yeah, and, and we're all... I mean, it comes back to cognitive overload, doesn't it? That we're all uh, overwhelmed often by the jobs that we've got to do. And we snap into um, intuitive ways of behaving. We have certain default settings in the way we behave. And if we're going to create those cultures, you've got to override those default settings and create new habits in how people relate to each other, because this is fundamentally about how, how two people relate. I remember a similar thing when I had two new members of my leadership team start at the same time. And I wrote down and sent them both something quite similar to that, but in terms of how we also deal with staff. Uh, and, it, you know, it, it just had those fundamental values uh, in terms of, you know, we're positive, we're constructive, and we do things with people, not to them. Um, it was those basic values that I wanted them coming into the school, not that I wanted them to say, you've got to do your job this way, but so that they knew where the cultural temperature was and that they weren't going to come in and do something which people which made them appear like an outsider to the people in the school yeah and unless somebody tells you you just don't know you're sort of fumbling around in the dark trying to trying to work it out so i'm sure they they really appreciated that dave i'm going to be quiet now honestly i'll put mute on um i'll hand over to you Oh, no, thank you. Just give me time to, to write down even more. My notes are all over the place now. So, so much stuff in here, which I'm picking up. Um, what, what stood out for me that, through those conversations? I think that less experienced teachers, so you're, you're a very experienced teacher, Marie, but you would, um, uh, in Yates Academy, would, you're a less experienced sort of member of staff within their structures. And so to be able to pick up that script quickly, it just made me again think of the, the sort of comparison between lessons um, and, and it's really helping me to, to have that analogy and to think well yes you, you then have that level playing field for all everybody can contribute in the same way everybody is a is, is sort of valued in that same way it makes me think of social justice as well just listening to how we all get the same experience and it gives that real consistency um, and also by doing that um, you can you can sort of really expect those high standards and um, and Ben Parnell said in, in um, you know, We Are in Beta last year about knowing how good good can be. And that, that quote has really stuck in my mind of, um, of quite sort of the, the high levels you can reach if you, you hold that high line and, and have that expectation through um, using that script and you're, you're, you're insistent um, that we're going to do it exactly this way. And then you build that culture underneath. And of course, this isn't the only way to do things. And I, I recognize that there's lots of other, other ways to do things. But my personal experience is a very positive one of, of sort of seeing, seeing these scripts in action. Um, I really like how you describe with memes as well, because straight away when I read the, the memes contain a genetic code of school culture, I just straight away, I knew what that meant. And I, I knew then that I could just get that snapshot. And, and I've been doing that in, in school since reading the book of, of just looking if I visit another school or, or maybe I'm, I'm sort of getting a feel for, for what the place is like and um, maybe outside of school also. I just capture that sort of two second visual of what's just played out. Um, and, and then and then I have a really, I feel like I've got quite a deep understanding then of, of what that culture is like just from that short snippet. Um, and I think the books really helped me to do that as well. Um, but there's just sort of a few of the thoughts that I've had so far. And I wanted to connect them just very quickly to something we're doing at Blaze, where we're working on our greetings at the moment. Um, and so, so the scripted sort of, um, I'd say there are, there are scripts that I've seen that are um, more detailed. I've seen... Um, Lots of schools not use a script for something like this at all. Um, and so, so I feel like we're somewhere in the middle of the moment with what we're doing, but I'm seeing real success in, um, in a script that we have when we meet students on the door for a greeting and expecting that response and just sort of teaching the students about um, sort of the reasons why as well as we talked before. Um, and going back to your book layout, it's, I've now got this, this script that I use with the students, but I also know that I want them to know what they need to do 
why it's important and why we know that this is a good thing to do. And, and just your book structure has really helped me in terms of formulating not only the script, but the then creating the belief behind that culture as well. So I, I haven't got a question particularly in there, but it's just a few things that I picked up and, and I don't know if there's anything that you sort of heard there and thought no, or, or whether there's this stuff that you want to do elaborate on or build on. But yeah, just um, there's so much that I've taken from those last five minutes. Thank you so much. Great. No, I think that's a really good summary, Dave. And um, the only the only thing I was going to add to that, or thinking when you were talking, was um, that 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 giving the reason at some point is very important. Either, particularly for for young people, either before you put it in place, or you do it and then you explain. But um, I I do have a brief, you know, having two kids who've gone through the secondary education system, uh, or one of them on their way through the secondary education system. It really bugs me when, and it bugs them, when schools bring in rules and they don't explain the rationale to those rules to the students. And it doesn't do them any favors because if you're anything like my youngest daughter, certainly, all you'll do is rebel if you don't understand the rationale. So I think you have to treat children like intelligent consumers and, and explain why you're doing. And even if they don't agree with it, you, you've paid them the respect to explain what, why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I have uh, I have three children, two of them currently teenagers. Mm -hmm. So it is it is quite interesting. Um, but I suppose it's we won't always get it right, but we don't necessarily know which is the best time at each time we're doing something to give the why, whether it's before, whether it's during, whether it's slightly afterwards. But having it in there somewhere um, is so important because then it justifies it a little bit more. And I think one of the other things about a, a script that, that Dave, you mentioned, so I'm thinking about it from my, my children's viewpoint here, is if they know that there's this sort of commonality, this, this culture, this script, this, if it, with regards to a whole wide variety of things, they feel it's fairer as well. They, they can see the equity. They can see that in from one subject to the next, one teacher to the next, one corridor to the next, that it is the same and and having those clearer lines i think is really really helpful for them when they're trying to navigate something and also um choosing their moment within which they might try and push back a little which is teenagers it's a it's it's sort of in their nature at times isn't it to to want to be able to question and challenge but if it's uh, and a lot of the time it's just for understanding but if those lines are consistent then i had just helped i think it really helps them to understand it as well Pushing back is um, often talked about as if it's one thing, but teenagers push back either to a person or to a rule. And I would always rather they questioned in, in a constructive way, questioned the rule rather than questioned the authority. And if you have that kind of consistency, they're not saying, well, you know, you're being unfair because I was just down the corridor there and that person didn't tell me to tuck my shirt in. So I'm going to blame you. But if the rule is consistent, I think they, they, they are less likely to blame the person, more likely to say, well, I don't really understand why we have to tuck our shirt in, at which point you can have a rational conversation about it and you take away the degree of the conflict. But of course, they're teenagers, so you never quite get rid of all of the conflict. That helps to protect our staff as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Because it's, it's the system then within which they're working and, and we can support them with. Um, but yeah, oh, Dave, I'll bring you in before I was going to go off on something else there. I don't know, it just made me um, think like specifically today, actually, of a conversation I had and, and something which I noticed. And I knew, I knew subconsciously, um, I think what you just said, but I didn't, I hadn't articulated. I'm, I'm still just processing as well. Um, but there was a moment in a classroom today where a student who's always challenged um, the, um, maybe the authority um, in the past about, why why are you asking me to do this um, the language change um, and the language changed to um, why are we not allowed to do this um, and and I noticed that the language had changed and I was like I don't know what that means and, and I think that's just articulated it now for me that actually the consistency that we're we're building in our um, in our school at the moment means that they have seen that this is happening everywhere and they're unhappy with the rule and not unhappy with the fact I'm applying this rule um, and I think that's a big step forward to empowering our teachers especially our inexperienced teachers as well um, and um, and I also sort of 
it's made me go back to a different part of the book actually which isn't in the, the extract but i think it's worth sharing and that's the idea um when you talk about the domain specific leadership expertise um how delivering this confidently as well is quite a crucial part of this because i'm thinking now a lot of inexperienced teachers and the support this offers them um and and to do um to to make the right decision but to not make it confidently um maybe doesn't always have the same authority and power um and, and isn't always followed in the same way as when you have it when you do it with confidence and the scripts i think really give you that confidence and, and within that same section um it talks about leadership integrity so i guess also our humility humility and being um open to to that change ourselves and, and following that same path that, that we are going to develop this script it doesn't mean that this is the absolute way that we do things and and being open to that change and, and listening to feedback and advice i think is also a really key part of that having success and you i think you made a good point about new teachers dave which is that you if you if you just leave in new teachers to make it up as they go along my experience would be that they often feel underconfident in instructing students to do things in certain ways so having having those kind of routines will definitely help those less experienced and less confident teachers in, in in deferring almost the authority where they need to to the school to say well this is how we do it everyone does it this way i'm doing exactly the same thing as that teacher who you've known for years and has you know maybe been at school for 30 years we're all doing it in the same way and i've, I've no doubt and as i say i've not i'm not working in a school where there are huge behavior challenges um but in the different schools i've worked in and and as you know, as a new teacher at one point myself, um, I've no doubt that that really helps improve behaviour management, particularly for people at the early stage of their career. Yeah, it just gives you support and guidance, doesn't it? And a structure to follow rather than trying to, to, to find your own way. And that, we know that's really inefficient. Um, and it's there are so many things we're thinking about when we're a, a coming into teaching and, and having that additional sense of community and culture, I think is great. So I'm just gonna um, bring into the room, if that's okay, something that uh, Justin's written. So he says he owns a copy of your, of your book. It was recommended by Carly Waterman in her research at Home Talk in 2020. Um, uh, Love and Knowledge in Leadership is, is what it was titled and discusses leadership generators. And he says that he guesses he guesses that scripts are generators as well. Um, I didn't know if you might know what he's he's sort of inferring by that. I'm not. I don't remember the generators bit, if I'm honest. But I would say, you know, Carly is brilliant on this stuff. And um, what Carly does is she she humanizes some of the things that can feel a little bit cold. You know, when we talk about routines, when we talk about knowledge when we talk about domains it, it all feels a bit cold and possibly a bit male as well in in some of the kind of you know the, the discussion around it what carly does brilliantly with the sort of the love and the joy and carly and i offer i often teasing her about her love and joy that she goes on about but carly's a brilliant role model for this because she very much subscribes to the kind of thing we're talking about here but she does it with her own flair and flamboyance and there is a risk with things like domain specific leadership that it does feel a bit you know, dry and um not very exciting so yeah i don't know particularly what what that bit refers to but i would advocate anyone go and watch carly talk about it because she's just absolutely engaging when she talks about leadership and i think um you you mentioned um uh, you've mentioned it um previously about that leadership is sort of changing and evolving and it, it, it means different things in different places, especially in education. And um, what I can say from that, my experience is, I feel that this idea, this perception of leadership has evolved quite a bit in the last few years. And I'll say that from being um, a, a, a female teacher who's, who's in senior leadership at the moment. I have felt that there's a culture shift in this sort of previously preconceived idea or notion of maybe what a, a leader is like or a head teacher or some, you know, somebody in that position and that actually it's leaning much more towards sort of an authentic leadership. So you don't have to 
fill somebody else's shoes in exactly the same way that there is a different way of doing things um and i think we are still moving some way along this this sort of continuum um but i felt that change myself and and one of the other things i wanted to come back to was when in your book when you talk about the domain specific sort of knowledge and experience that goes into leaders and it was i remember a conversation um and, and I always used to think that, and I still do, I think a lot of it is about getting the right people to work with, and you can help to upskill the right people with what it is that they need to do. But sometimes there isn't the amount of time we need to be able to upskill those people either. And so they do need a certain amount of knowledge and expertise in the, in the areas that they work in. And I, I fell short on this because a sort of, a, a conversation with um, it was it was Ben Parnell about a senior leadership teams, and he was saying, "Well, experience is really important." And I came back and I was like, "Well, surely it's the quality of experience as well, because I'm very new to this." Um, and then I was an ass assistant head teacher underneath him on a different strand than I was used to on raising standards and curriculum, and it was completely at an aside from anything that I'd sort of worked on in that way before. And oh my goodness, did I feel like I'd hit that brick wall. It wasn't because I wasn't able, I don't have the capacity to pick things up. It wasn't because I wasn't experienced in being schools. I wasn't experienced in that part of the role that I then had to do. And it was a huge shock to me. And then I understood completely what he was talking about. I, I sort of, I think, yeah, I did. I went into it with a little bit of arrogance, I think, that oh, I'll be all right, I'll be able to pick this up. And Oh my goodness, I, I have absolutely so much to learn. And I love the way that you, you talked about that and you gave a, a, a way of being able to articulate it and address it in your book too, because I hadn't appreciated just how important that was because I thought it was just all about having the right person and then uh, not having the same appreciation of the, that importance of experience and skill set that you need to have around the table as well. Yeah, and the point I'd pick up there is, is about the a kind of exclusive feel about leadership which which bothers me about some of the orthodox ideas about leadership because if you believe what you read um or well, believe what you see that you've got to be kind of white and male to be a school leader um which is a real concern and then if you believe what you read you've got to be extroverted and you've got to have this wonderful toolkit of skills that you know enable you to do things that nobody else can do and it just is so to me, it's just always felt quite egotistical, um, quite macho in some respects. And I think it excludes people potentially from aspiring to leadership, which is a big concern because we, you know, getting people to be school leaders or head teachers um, is something we should all be really concerned about and, and getting greater diversity in that as well. Um, but there is also the opposite risk, isn't there? That, and, and a few people have voiced this to me, that if you emphasize the domain specific knowledge or the experience too much then you can put people off stepping up to those leadership positions because of course you never know everything that you need to know and it can feel quite intimidating I think to think well I've, I've got to know all of this stuff if I'm leading curriculum I've got to know everything Christine Council's ever written and I've got to I've got to, I've got to read Michael Young's entire works and, and that can equally be quite intimidating and, and make it quite exclusive. So there is a balancing point somewhere between. And although in the book I am quite critical of things like charismatic leadership, there is also a place for people to have a bit of charisma. I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, I mean, you can't be a wallflower uh, or, or not be willing to take people on or to express your opinion. But equally, that isn't the be all and the end all. You can learn to be a better leader whilst you are still yourself so you can be true to yourself but you can become a better leader if you learn more and become more expert at the thing that you're leading on um, and, and that hopefully should be quite an empowering message to people who aspire to leadership positions yeah it's that fear isn't it of well i haven't done that before or i don't know how to do that yet and if you're a leader you feel like you already have to know how to do anything and we don't give ourselves enough room to grow or lean on those around us so it is the messages coming through are much more positive it's Good. still quite daunting though um i'll hand over to dave now thank you for your patience dave i'm enjoying this far too much 
Oh, no problem. And likewise, um, I, we're talking about cognitive load a lot, and there's, um, there's so much I want to talk about again that I'm struggling to put it into some sort of sequence to be able to, it's just going to sort of spill out of my brain, I think, a little bit. Um, but, but one thing I've really picked up from, um, from this in terms of how I might want to do this and connecting with some of the other literature that we've been um, talking about in previous sessions is, um, is the idea of taking one small thing at a time and working on that. So both as a leader to become more expert, to build up that expertise that you talk about, to, to be sort of, you know, not to have that imposter syndrome, to go in and, and feel confident enough that, that you can go on and do that role with the transferable skills you talk about in the book. But at the same time, then um, to to have the confidence to go right. Well, I'm going to um, get more expert at this, and then I'm going to get more expert at this. And I'm not until I've got that. Am I going to move on? And those little action steps, I think, are going to be sort of really crucial in that personal journey. But also um, in terms of using the scripts and, and what we're doing at Blaze with the greetings, I think what's really important then is that we look at the script and we we form the script and we work with the students on that script. And when we've got that bit right, and this is um, something that I think our head teacher, Catherine Brown, has done incredibly well. When we've got that bit right, we then move on to the next thing. Um, so we've looked in September at uniform, we've got that right, we're now looking at late, we're now looking at greetings, whatever that is, and whatever the script is we use, we, we get that one right, we make sure the script is right. I guess I'm not in those senior meetings, but there's meetings uh, around that to make sure that the detail in that is perfect for, for having the, the maximum impact. And then we, it's, it's about isolating that skill, I think is what I'm saying um, for, for me. Yeah, you can't work on all of this stuff at once, can you? You have to decide what the battles are that you want to, that you want to fight. And also it's equally important not to move on until you've achieved some degree of success. Um, particularly, again, we've talked a lot here about, about behaviour and student conduct and things, but you know, this, is, this is a significant area of concern for schools. If you, if you have a rule, you've got to either make that rule work or you need to ditch the rule. And unfortunately, I've been in schools whereby they've had big launches of new conduct procedures and so on, and everyone's now going to do this. And six months down the line, people aren't really consistently doing it. And everyone looks at their shoes and shuffles around a bit and decides that they're going to have a different set of walks or they're going to relaunch. So this, this idea of relaunching can work if you're going into a school, maybe with a significant turnaround agenda. But for most schools, ambling along from day to day, you can't keep relaunching your behaviour. You just need to keep poking at different bits and just raising the bar um, gradually and specifically over time. I think that um, that has just reminded me of the session we had with Bradley Bush and Edward Watson and where we were talking about fads and um, Bradley Bush said, well, you know, it's it's it, the, the way that he was he considers a fad and that's where uh, I suppose in this context, it would be where something's introduced, but then it doesn't have the substance behind it. So it just becomes a thing rather than actually something that's followed up, something that's understood, something that is going to have an impact and, and people can see what's what's going on with it. So he worded it much better than I just did. I'm just trying to link what was said there and how I can see it, it, it aligns with what's being said here as well. And I suppose that that's that thing, isn't it? That your, your script, if you introduce it, can just become a fad and then it's just, layer upon layer of new things that people are dealing with rather than it then giving it the time um supporting it embedding it praising it correcting it if need be and then it becomes part of the culture um and then you can see its importance so um a, a slight aside there but it, it just I, I sort of made that link there um with with what bradley was saying about fads it, it can be quite overwhelming can't it if you if you're working in a school whereby the leadership of the school um, introduce things that don't last so they have a very transient view of of embedding new policies or, or initiatives and then they overlay a variety of initiatives one on top of the other um, and i have really clear memories of working in a school as a main scale teacher which had that feel about it it was very faddish it was very transient and um, and it became quite managerial as well in its approach because it was a lot of emails saying, now do this, now we also want you to do that, here's another document you've got to fill out. 
Um, and there is a responsibility amongst people who lead schools to try to deliberately work against that culture. Um, decide on what it is you're going to do and try to stick with it for a decent period of time. Uh, otherwise, to work in that environment can be really overwhelming. And I'm, I think for me, that links back to what you said earlier about when you had two new members um, join your senior leadership team and you outlined for them the sort of the culture, the expectations, the way you work in that school. And I suppose sometimes when we step up into a position, we want to show impact. We want to bring something new to the table. We want to have something that we own that's ours rather than looking at how we can continue to work on, develop and strengthen what's already in place than bringing something in that's new. And if when people are moving around and there are a wealth of opportunities that are opening up and we've got staff that are moving on and, and, and having opportunities, there is always that risk that can bring benefits with it, but also complexities of all these new ideas that people bring in when they've got a new role. Yeah, and uh, it just reminds me of, I think where that happens, this is my view of it from, from kind of my history of working in schools, where it happened was when we invented assistant head teachers, and no offence to any assistant head teachers out there, but we used to have this thing in schools called senior teachers, and they would work in the school for long enough, and then they would be given this post of a senior teacher, and they weren't expected to really lead anything. They, they, it was almost like tenure. And then what happened was when leadership became a big thing, which, you know, I have mixed feelings about, um, we suddenly invented all of these assistant head teacher posts. And all of those assistant head teacher posts were not tenure, but they were a stepping stone to the next thing. And you've got all of these people like me, because I did exactly the same thing as assistant head teacher, coming in with an agenda to change something. And if you don't, if you're not careful as a head teacher, if you allow that to happen in an uncoordinated way, then you get overlays of initiatives happening. Um, I knew a school once that had 10 assistant head teachers, all who had a different change project that they were doing for their MPQ. And it was hell to work in that school. So there is a responsibility. Again, I, I go back to the head teacher here and say that you have to be careful what you create when it comes to school improvement. And if you set up lots of enthusiastic, ambitious people to change the world, then you get what you deserve. You, you have to be a little bit more cautious about how you improve a school. Yeah, I like the, um, uh, Rebecca's put something in the chat. She said, new promotion syndrome always lasts six months before they settle into the role. So, we, you know, we, we're all excited, aren't we? we, we we're really keen. Dave, you lowered your hand. Is that because you just didn't want to wait anymore for me to bring you in? <laughs> no, I forgot to, forgot to um, lower it last time and now I was going to raise it again um, because there's, there's one more thing. Uh, I know we're getting towards the end here and I have to think about the takeaways very soon, but um, I think um, it was Will Smith who um, talked about the marathon effect in one of our We Are Unbeatens and, and the idea of, of you have this vision and by the time you get to the, the classroom, it's maybe not quite as you'd imagine it. And, um, and, and everybody's well-intentioned in trying to make this, um, you know, this vision happen, for example, but maybe don't understand the vision in the same way. And I was wondering if you had any advice on, on now that we've got these sort of scripts and we want to use them, how we ensure that... that um, the staff are, are using using them that they are um, okay with using they understand how to use them that they um, they they are sort of buying into the the idea of the scripts if they're not what sort of conversations can happen to support those staff I don't know whether there's sort of a, um, any advice on on supporting that whole school culture of using scripts um, in such a way that, that I don't know from your experiences that you've had. Well this is about implementation isn't it and implementation often gets overlooked. Uh, amongst people who have big ideas and you know want to want to achieve achieve great things um i wrote a blog a, a while back which is probably about this topic really uh, it's called something like um leader as plumber and it comes from an economics paper where they talked about some of the problems of implementing implementing change in the third world and policymakers often see themselves as engineers of things whereas what you need is more plumbers who will get down under the sink and actually make the pipes fit together and make things work. So that's the way I tend to think about implementation nowadays, is that you need to move from being the visionary, from being the architect, from being the engineer, through to being the plumber. 
And if you're going to be a plumber, you've got to get out into the classroom and fix the operational problems. Because inevitably, when a good idea meets reality, it, it fails often. So the only way to make these things work is to get out into the field and to see what's working, where it's working, where it's not working, where it's going wrong, and then deal with that on the ground piece by piece. And what you've put in place might work well in one place, not in another. It may not work in different places for different reasons. So you've got to get that toolkit out and say, well, we've got to put in some legwork to make this actually work in practice. Yeah, I was, um, uh, I, I remember um, talking recently to somebody who was interested in applying for an assistant head teacher role. Um, and it's from from that point on, it's, it's my same advice to anybody when I, I'm talking to them about senior leadership. My first thing is get comfortable shoes. Get really comfortable shoes because you, you're going to be up and around, you're going to be walking, you're going to be wearing down those shoes and and to make sure that they're comfortable and you'll probably need to buy a new pair by Christmas. And because that's it's a really important part of it, isn't it? Not sitting down and looking at policy, but actually what's going on in the school at the same time. And um, that, that just made me think of uh, the other thing I, it, it for me, that shift in focus from seeing I've, I've seen um, senior leadership teams and, you know, in high in. in in really good schools where people sit at their desk in their office behind their computer and they they work on what needs to be done there and they aren't necessarily on the ground with things that are being done in the school as well because of of the way that that's structured but for me when I was when I was talking to this person and, and talking about senior leadership I was saying well in my experience at the moment what what I'm finding is that the senior leader does whatever it is that they need to do to ensure that teachers are teach can teach and students can learn and that 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 keeps going so have we just lost him Dave yeah I think you talk too much Ray I think he's gone oh, <laughs> no, I'm, no. I'm joking um I'm joking but um I mean hopefully you'll be back with this uh, it's just coming back on now uh, here he um, is <laughs> we were joking Matthew that um we maybe <laughs> talk too much at you <laughs> no my, the wi-fi's just completely cut out but I've rapidly plugged into the uh to a cable, so I'm really sorry, really. I missed the, I missed most of, most of that. But <laughs> oh, don't worry, it wasn't that. It wasn't that important. It was just me, um, just me rabbiting on as I usually do. I'll, um, what I will do is I'll start because time's running away, and and ah, oh, it's always such a such a shame when I need to close. But I also know that your time is very very precious. Um, we are generally time poor in the roles that we do and we're, we're very appreciative of, of you spending um, some time with us this afternoon and everybody else is in the room here as well and I'll bring in something that Rebecca has said um, she said that the best deputy that she worked for joined the school for a term to get to know the school before it was revealed they were a deputy so it sort of gave that it's, she said allowed him to see the school and the students I think also might have given them permission to be able to just sit and watch and get a feel for the community at the same time. So I thought to, to be able to do that, what what a brilliant idea. That's a real privilege, isn't it? A luxury. Yeah, a, a real luxury. And one, if only um, we could afford to do things like that a little bit more often. But um, so what I've got here is I've got um, Justin in the room. So he's he's shared a few notes with me um, and he, he wondered if I'd be able to share them on his behalf. So his takeaway is the idea that there is a cognitive load in regards to scripts and pupils having to remember the rules. And so having not too many rules and having to remember what was and now what is. And he likes leadership. And for him, he, 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 you know, he says, but I'm not a leader. And what he says is that he thinks this book does cover subjects that leaders know but it takes those topics and argues that empathy and emotional intelligence on, are, are, are not the answer, he says here, but understand, in understanding them, you can see their shortcomings. So it's about that complexity and that web of, of bringing it all together. And as you, as you say, that there's no simple answer to this, but at least we're constantly striving to see what we can do about it. And he has said that he's advised that using your book to help along the way would be a really, really important factor of it. And he always hopes that the leader is doing 
hopefully sort of part of the role that they are about to step into. So they are able to take something along with them as well. So those are some, some of the comments um, and the takeaways that Justin had during the session. And I said that I'd share them on his behalf. Right, yeah, thank you, Justin. Yeah, so thank you ever so much for doing that, Justin. And um, Dave, I didn't know if, if there was anything else um, you wanted to, to pull from that as well before we then, um, sadly to say, close the session. Uh, not at all. I think I summed up beautifully. And uh, just as, again, once more, Matthew, to say thank you so much for your for your time, because we do know um, it's really precious your time, and and we just are really grateful that you've spent the hour just to talk to us about our experiences and and helping us to develop. So just thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. It's been a pleasure. A really really interesting conversation. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much, everybody. Um, unless anybody has anything else, I will close. Oh, Justin, you've unmuted. Did you want to share something? No, no. I, I just thought I'd unmute at the end just to you know, say thank you very much to Matthew for a great session. Thank you. It really was. Yeah. And thank you for joining us as well, everybody who's in the room. So um, I will stop recording now.